I believe the Word of God can be and ought to be pretty basic to our understanding, and I think most scriptures really are, and it is us that tries to make things uh, too difficult oftentimes to understand. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll on uh, this morning while I was out running, and he shared that he has a little thing on the wall, plaque on the wall in his office, which says, well, I try to say it, idiosyncratically eccentric phraseology is the promulgator of procurable op- obfuscation. I can't even say it. obfuscation. And then if you turn over the plaque, it, sa- it says that means big words cause confusion. <laughs> big words can cause confusion. I heard about a man who was talking to a former classmate. He was talking to a former classmate. And he asked the classmate what he was doing. What's he, what's he been up to? And he said he was working on aqua thermo treatment of ceramics and aluminum and steel under a constrained environment. And then under further inquiry, this man said that meant that he was washing dishes under hot water and under his wife's supervision. (laughs) But it sounds so much better the other way, doesn't it? You know, we're called to desire God, and God wants us to desire Him. He wants us to follow Him, and I think the Christian life can be pretty basic. And when we open up the Bible and we read it and we try to, to study it, it can, it can speak to us. The Holy Spirit will illuminate the Scriptures to us. You know, I don't usually like water. I like Coca-Cola. I like Diet Coke. I like Diet Mountain Dew. I like sweetened tea with a lot of sugar like they have it at McDonald's. I like things with sugar in them. Even some artificial sweetener is good, except coffee's okay black, but I don't like just regular water, unless I'm working out or something. It was 2012, and I was going for a sunny afternoon run. I think I was in the best shape of my life. I had, in the last year before that, started exercising regularly. I started running as a, as a need to lose weight, and from there it became kind of a hobby. It went from how long do I have to do this to enjoyment. It didn't come easy, though. I had to run through shin splints and things like that. And then it was 2012. I had lost 40 pounds with the exercise, and I was running at a pace which I have not been able to keep up with since. Now I'm just happy to be, to be out and running. And I was, it was the day when I would go for a longer run. Once a week, usually Thursdays, in the afternoon, I would skip lunch and I liked to go for a longer run, which at that point was about nine miles. Nine miles was my long run at that point. And this day it was sunny and it was warm. I pulled my 2000 Buick LeSabre with 200 some thousand miles on it into the gravel parking lot where the Mahoning Valley Trail began. It was hot, but I was ready and I thought at least I was eager and ready to go for this run. I usually did jumping jacks before the run instead of stretching. I hate stretching. And uh, I'm sure I did that same thing that day. I probably did some jumping jacks and took off down the trail for this run. On this particular run, though, I encountered a problem. It started normal. I ran along the trail, which ran along the Mahoning River. The river is small outside Alliance. It's hardly a river at all. It's about the size of Yellow Creek, actually. It's very small. And so I ran along the trail, up and down the hills, around that little river. Then about two miles in, the trail exits to North Rock Hill Avenue. 
I turned right on North Rock Hill and started running up a gradual hill which heads to the rest of the trail. The trail picks up again off of Greenbower Street Northeast, if that means anything to any of you, and it goes down to the Deer Creek Reservoir, which you might know of the Deer Creek Reservoir, and it ends there. But as I ran up North Rock Hill Avenue, the sun beat down on me and I hit a wall. They call it a wall. It wasn't a literal wall. They call it a, a wall. It's, it's a runner's wall. It was different than I ever had experienced before. I, I think I've hit them uh, before since. It, it's this type of sudden fatigue. I was only about two miles in, and I, but I felt like I just couldn't keep going. It was like my mind, I'm pretty stubborn, it was like my mind was saying, no, keep going, and my legs were saying, no, and, and that went on for maybe 30 seconds or a minute or two, though it felt longer, and then all of a sudden, I just stopped, and I stood around, and I looked around and thought, well, what am I going to do? I don't want to walk back to the car, which was about two miles, but to keep running, it would be about a total of uh, seven more miles. But if I didn't finish it, I knew I would feel bad the rest of the day. I'd be mad at myself for not finishing the run. At that point, I did not carry water on my runs. Later on, I would start carrying water, and I would start wearing a two-liter water backpack, actually, and as, as I ran, but at this time I wasn't drinking water. Again, I said, I hate water. And at this point, I wouldn't eat lunch before runs because I would skip lunch to run. Well, I'm pretty stubborn, and so on this particular run, I decided to keep running. And within a few seconds or minutes, um, that bad fatigue went away, and I finished the nine miles. My point in that story was to say, what does it feel like to be depleted? Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever been really, really thirsty and you feel like you just need water? You could drink a whole lake. I see Lily's been thirsty before. She's raising her hand. I like that interactiveness. Um, how do you feel? Now, now, let's cross over from the physical exercise idea because it, I know some people would say, and, and sometimes I think this way, that sometimes they feel like exercising, but then they turn over and go back to sleep and that feeling goes away, right? Yeah. Um, let's go to the spiritual, though. How do you feel when you miss church? How do you feel when you miss your devotion time? How do you feel when you skip your time in the Bible, time in the Word? How do you feel when you miss your prayer time? Are, are you thirsty for God? I'm going to play this video clip, which has John Piper uh, narrating. John Piper is a pastor, author, theologian. I'm going to tell Megan to go ahead and uh, clip this, uh, turn this on. Here we go. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. 
like how what John Piper talks and writes about desiring God. He wrote a book called Desiring God in the 80s and it's been on several revisions and he's written many other books since then, but it's very word-filled and just think God wrote a book and it's a window into the eternal. And when I think about desiring God, we need to desire our time with God. And so, my theme today 
is pray that we and our descendants desire God. Pray that we desire God in a Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 way. I'm in this sermon series based on scriptures which I've been convicted to pray. I pray these scriptures for myself and for my descendants and and for you as well, actually. And so I pray that we desire God in a Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 way. Uh, Timothy read Psalm 63 a few moments ago. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 again, though. And if you have your Bibles or your tablets or your phones open to Psalm 63, you can just park it right there because I'm going to be kind of walking through that psalm. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 2 says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. My theme in prayer is that we desire God. That we desire God. You know, allow me to introduce this psalm with something Chuck Swindoll wrote. Uh, this is titled A Song of Quietness, and uh, Chuck Swindoll writes it, and he quotes Tozer and a few others. He says, How easy it is to fall into the trap of ritual religion. Ritual religion. So many Christians know little of a vital, fresh, day by day relationship with the Lord. I did not say an inactive relationship. Christians have never been more active. The tyranny of the urgent is no theoretical problem. Many a believer jumps off the Sunday treadmill of activities only to hop on the weekday treadmill of meetings, appointments, functions, rehearsals, clubs, engagements, banquets, studies, committees, and retreats. I heartily agree with the one who said much of our religious activity today today, is nothing more than a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. That's a harsh truth to ponder. As a pastor, I hope to help you cultivate a consistent and meaningful walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. A relationship that thrives without needing to be pumped up and recharged with an endless succession of activities. I would wish that we all might know our Lord in such a significant way that this divine companionship, this healthy vertical relationship, becomes a steady, serene, daily communion. We must find ways to live beyond the grind of ritual religion. In the pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes, I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long. So very long, in vain. A.W. Tozer continues, Every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity that is in Christ is rarely found among us. And instead are programs, methods, organizations, in a world of nervous activities, which occupy time, 
and attention, but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and that servile imitation of the world that marks our promotional methods all testify that we, in this day, know God only imperfectly, and the peace of God scarcely at all. Chuck Swindoll continues, Psalm 63 is David's song about what it means to have a desperate longing for God and what it means to be fully satisfied in Him alone. It is not a song of activity, but of quietness. David didn't write a march to impale busy feet, but a sonnet to woo thirsty souls. Believe it or not, many people don't know they're thirsty. You may not feel a deep longing to cultivate an ongoing personal interaction with God. That's probably because you have dulled your spiritual senses with activity, career activity, social activity, religious activity. If so, your first response may be to slow your pace, to simplify. You know, I like that devotional by Swindoll. I think it says it all. At least two psalms are convictional to my prayer life. One is Psalm 42, which I preached on last year here. And the second is Psalm 63. Two psalms that talk about a thirst, a hunger for God. A thirst and a hunger for God. And sometimes we need to simplify in order to bring on and satisfy and quench that thirst, that hunger for God. This psalm is written by David, you know, the mighty king of Israel, King David. And it's written either when he was running from Saul or when he was running from Absalom. Either running from Saul, which you can see about in the second half of 1 Samuel, or the running from Absalom, which you can see in 2 Samuel 15. You know, I think he was likely running from Absalom. And you may know the story. King David had expanded Israel's borders. Uh, he had been the king after, da- after God's own heart. And then he had this epic failure, which we talked about last Sunday. And you can see his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. But part of the consequence of David's failure was his family. Absalom tries to take the throne from David, and Absalom is actually successful in taking the throne from King David. David eventually does regain the kingdom. But here is David's prayer, a prayer for uh, kind of a prayer of longing for God. Let's walk through it a little bit. David says that God is his God. Can you say that? Can you say that with King David? That God is your God. You you have no other gods in your life. You have no no other idols in your life. God is your God. As we review this psalm, let's do a spiritual checkup. Do you live like God is your God? Or has God been replaced? Do you organize your affairs around God? Or around your television shows? Who runs your life? Does God run your life? Is God supreme? In your life. David says that he earnestly seeks God. Can you say that with King David? Do you notice, that, notice these words, these, these modifiers? 
Earnestly, David's earnestly seeking God. Oh God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. Seriously. Can you say that with King David? His flesh yearns for God. He is thirsty for God. Have you been thirsty for God? Would you hit kind of a spiritual wall if you're missing out on your time with God? In verse 3, David says that God's loving kindness is better than life. Do you believe that? Is God's loving kindness better than life? This is not saying that God's loving kindness is equal to life. No, he's saying God's loving kindness is better than life. Better, higher, more valuable. God's loving kindness has more value to David in this time period than life itself. David says his lips will praise God. In verse 4, David says that he will bless God as long as he lives. Can this be your prayer? I, I encourage you to pray this scripture and pray that this is your life. Will you bless God as long as you live? David will lift up his hands to God's name. How are we doing with that? Notice verses 6 through 7. They say, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Meditate on you in the night watches. Verse 6 has the idea of memorizing scripture. But further, I believe verse 6 has the idea of making scriptures a part of you. Making the scriptures, making the word of God a part of you. What, what is better to be a part of you than the word of God? What is better to be a part of you than the scriptures. What more do you want to pass on to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews and, and those who are your spiritual descendants? What do you want to pass on? What's better to pass on than that you have a life devoted to the Word of God, that the Word of God is a part of you, is who you are? Verse 6 is the idea of waking up at night and thinking about God in his word. It's the idea of going to sleep at night thinking about God in his word. A related psalm is Psalm 4, 4. Psalm number 4, verse 4. It says this. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Meditate on the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. I think there's another translation that might say, stand in awe. Stand in awe and adore God and who he is. Think about that. When we recognize who God is and who we are, we tremble at the complete reverence before a holy, righteous God. Then we think about our relationship with God and we desire him. I hope. David desired God. David was thirsty for God. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, My soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That word translated as clings is the same word in Hebrew used to describe the bond between a husband and a wife. That's the word used to describe clinging to God. How do we desire God? 
You know, I'm talking about praying that you desire God, praying that your children and grandchildren desire God. I pray that I desire God, praying that this scripture passage, but how do we do it? I would start by spending time in his word. That goes back to that, that video where John Piper was talking about, you know, God wrote a book. The devil wants you to skip out on reading the word of God because the word of God is powerful. There's something in the Bible about that, actually. The word of God is powerful. How did Jesus respond to the devil tempting him? Three times with the Bible. The word of God is powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. You're not going to cultivate this desire for God without reading the Bible. If you wanted to gain a desire for running, you would not gain it if you did not start running. You would not gain a desire for biking if you did not bike. You will not cultivate a desire for God if you do not, call, if you do not spend time in His Word. And you may not want to at first, but you must make yourself do it. Add prayer to your day. Pray throughout the day. Pray morning, afternoon, and evening. Pray without ceasing, but add a time for prayer. Consider writing prayers, almost like a prayer journal. Don't miss church. This is my fourth point in desiring God. How do you cultivate a desire for God? Don't miss church. In fact... And I don't say this lightly. I know this is a strong statement. But what most American Christians consider being involved in church, historically speaking, is not involved in church. And I do not believe it's what God calls us to either. I believe that God calls us to a closer relationship with the church than what just only Sunday morning can bring. I believe God calls us to involvement in, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I believe God calls us to prayer partners, accountability partners, small groups, midweek Bible studies. You can't eat only once a week and live, and you cannot be with the church only once a week and have a vibrant spiritual life. You also cannot have a vibrant spiritual life only eating of the Word of God once a week. we got to be in the Word of God, in our prayer life daily, and the church relationships must be interwoven together. In fact, I read an article just last night, and I've read things like this. The biggest drop in church attendance and the biggest, actually, uh, uh, a reason that children are not growing up to be committed to church is because they saw the same thing in their parents. Just a casualty in the relationship with the church. There's something for you to prayerfully reflect on. In the fall, oh, let me add, consider coming to Sunday school. Consider coming to the midweek Bible study. Consider joining a small group. Maybe there's one that doesn't fit your time. Let's start another. Maybe there's two or three or four people that would like to study the Bible together at 6 a.m. Fine. I want to start that. Let me help you. I'll give you some resources. I'll, whatever, you know. In the fall, I'm going to start a class here called Discipleship Training. It's, it's actually called, um, well, I call it Spiritual Disciplines. And it's a 36-week class. You're asked to commit to nine weeks at a time. So don't get intimidated. You're asked to commit to nine weeks at a time. And it is a training in discipleship. You are required. There is accountability here. You're required to spend time with the Lord daily in prayer and in scripture reading. And you're actually required to write down the scripture you read in an application and turn that in. That's accountability. 
Because oftentimes we need that accountability to build these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual habits. You're required to memorize scripture. We actually teach you how to do an hour-long Bible study, an in-depth Bible study. You turn that in. But it is so fruitful. We talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about how to know God's will. It's the way I realized my call to ministry. And I have led many, many people through that discipleship training course. And see God, I've seen God richly build people up as disciples of Christ. And, you know, I would leave that at midnight if it's the best time for somebody and 6 a.m. I don't care because I just want to see people grow in their relationship with Christ. And I know that everybody has a different time schedule. You might consider that. You know what? I usually do not like water. I've already said that. I don't usually like water. And I usually do not realize that I need water. Right? I mean, we may not realize we need water. But that doesn't mean you don't need water. <laughs> you need it whether you realize it or not. We need it whether we realize it or not. You know, and it's the same thing with our spiritual life, with our time in the Word, our time in prayer, our church commitment. We, we need that whether we realize it or not. And you may not realize you need that, but you do <laughs> for your Christian life. It's eating your green beans and your lettuce and your spinach. You need it whether you realize it or not. So I pray that you desire God like David in this psalm. You know, I talked about hitting a runner's wall, and I talked about that with that one run. Well, a few months later, I was continuing trying to extend my runs, and I was up to 10 miles. Once a week, I'd run 10 miles. And on one particular Thursday afternoon again, it was September, and it was sunny, and it was hot, and I thought, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to hit that 10 miles again. And I just got mapped my run for my phone and was using it, and I was running up and down and through the hills of Alliance, Ohio. Is running in that last hill, heading to my house, and I was so thirsty. I still did not take, I still had not learned to take water with me when I ran. I needed it. I needed it. And unfortunately, I can tell you about other stories of being thirsty and running or hitting a runner's wall and things like that. We need it. Will you survive without water? You won't. And you also will not survive the Christian life without time in the Bible. Time in prayer and time with the church. I pray that we desire God. John Piper writes the following. He says, the cost of food, the cost of food in the kingdom is hunger for the bread of heaven. Hunger for the bread of heaven instead of the white bread of the world. Do you want it? Are you hungry for the bread of heaven? Or are you satisfied with yourself and your television, in your computer, in your job, and your family. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we need you. We may not realize how much we need you, but we do need you. I need you. And Lord God, we connect with you through opening up the Bible, opening up your word. We connect with you through prayer. These spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines are ways we engage in the spiritual life. We connect with you in the church family. Help us to do that. Help us to be committed as followers of Jesus Christ. Help us to organize our affairs around you. Help us to desire you. Cultivate that desire in our life. And Lord, if there's someone in this room who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when something pricked their heart in this sermon or in the worship service or in Sunday school and they've realized 
I have not been committed to Jesus. Lord God, we need help committing to you. And may today be the day where many here confess, as we all need to, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. May we, may we believe that you, Jesus, are the only Savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. You said anyone can come after me, but he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Help us to follow you, confess we're sinners in need of a Savior, believe in you, trust in you, and commit to you. Help us, Lord, to desire you. I pray that same thing for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. May we desire you like David in this psalm, where we thirst for you, we yearn for you. In Jesus' name, amen.